fools of rhetoric that say that I should spend the next three minutes to make sure that you believe that I am capable of um, telling you a message that you need to hear. So you build respect with the people, or maybe tell them where you... Um, I'm going to tell you why I'm a big idiot. I'm going to violate all those rules. Uh, but for the last, what seems like, 3,000 weeks, um, Robert and Betty Evans have been wanting to place membership with our church, and I just keep forgetting. Um, they told me, at, this is how great of a church y'all are, people are just coming up to me at Papa Bobano's telling me they want to be members. They told me at Papa Bobano's and said, next Sunday, would you mind mentioning that? And I said, I'll do it. And then it didn't happen. <laughs> Um, I do think I included an illustration about chips and salsa, but nothing. So, but they have, they have been um, with us for uh, nine months, it seems, ten months now. They've been um, worshiping with us, and they, uh, if you don't know Robert and Betty, Roberts uh, uh, has been a pharmacist in Murfreesboro for how, how long? Sixty years. Sixty decades. <laughs> Sixty years. Sixty years. He's been, with, and he is. Um, he, he's just such a. There's just such a blessing. Um, I, they're two of my favorite people from Murfreesboro. That's for sure. <laughs> and so we're so thankful for for them, and that they're going to be with us here. We 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 don't. We have. We do have an Excel sheet that has everyone's address and phone number and. Um, social security number and we but we, we we don't have we place membership when you place membership here you're just saying we're working with y'all we're working with y'all are, y'all are the ones we're working with and um, we're just so thankful for they're with us so if you haven't met them meet them they're really fun they're really fun um, you, you'll you'll enjoy them um, okay I have grown up in Church of Christ I was a Church of Christ kid, Church of Christ youth minister's kid. Uh, my dad traveled around to different little small country churches of Christ and preached. And one thing I always knew about the Church of Christ is that we were trying to be something. We were trying to be, you know, we were trying to be a uh, the first century church. That's what I heard all the time. Those of you who grew up in the Church of Christ, you know, you heard that, right? We we're trying to be like the first century church. I learned over time that whenever I said first century church, whenever someone said we were trying to be like the first century church, what they meant was we're trying to be like the church of the 1950s, which isn't in the first century. I don't know if you can do math. That's not the first century. Um, what what the 1950s were was you, you had a certain way of doing church, and people wanted to get back to that. And whenever they wanted to do that, they would say, we've got to act like the first century church. And that's actually a pretty noble hope. You want to say, we're, we, we want to do the things the way the people who, who were with Jesus did things. We want to do the way the, the people who followed Jesus and, and learned from Jesus himself, and then they went and they were part of this, this church. This, we want to do things like that. That's actually a pretty noble thing. But what, what happens is you start picking and choosing what you want to do and what you don't want to do. So Paul tells uh, the Romans, greet each other with a holy kiss. 
That's something the first century church did. Anyone else on board besides Charlie? <laughs> and it's all right. Yes, it's all right. It, so what? We're not really. I'm okay. We're not really that. Paul actually tells the first century church in Corinth, "Don't get, don't get all dressed up for church. It's not. You're not supposed to pretend you're rich when you're in church. This is what this is. Me pretending I'm rich." My shoes match my belt. <laughs> so there, there is a um, like you, you have. There are some things we do, some things we don't do from the first century church, and we would try to structure things somewhat like that. So mainly, it's big stuff like, well, we see them responding to Jesus a certain way, we want to respond to Jesus that way. We see them doing this every week. We were they they um, broke bread, had communion every time they met. We want to do that too. So we, we have some goals like that. But I want, to, I want to show you something from the first century church. This is in Acts. I want to show you something they did. And then talk about an attitude they had. Because a lot of times we can get real comfortable doing things. And having the, but not having the right attitude while we're doing it. And so I want, to, I, want to, I want to talk to you about this. Okay, so go to Acts chapter 13. My clicker's not working. There we go. Acts chapter 13, verse 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. So, okay, real back, back to real quick. Peter is in a town called Antioch. It's not the Antioch that's down um, near Jerusalem or in, in Israel. It's, it's Antioch in um, what is modern day Turkey. Okay? I'm glad we got that straight now. But, when they, they, the whole city gathered to hear the, whole, the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what Paul, what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Now, I don't know if you've ever been a part of something like that, but that's awkward for everybody involved. You say, hey, two plus two is four. Two plus two is five, jerk. That's, that's contradicting and reviling. So that they were yelling things and saying, you're not right. You knucklehead. They were saying that they were contradicting and reviving him. So while he's speaking, they're yelling at him, and he's um, he says to the Jews, those those people there. Next slide for me. I don't know why this is. When Paul and Barnabas answered, then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. Boldly, we had to speak the word of God to you first, to you, the Jewish people first. Since you rejected and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. We now turn to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles. You may bring salvation, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Okay, so there's two things going on here. There is a religious thing going on, and then there is a racial thing going on. The religious thing is um, the Israelites, or the Jewish people, have been following God for centuries. And they've been the only people following this particular God for centuries. And they have been the people. And so since they have been the one and only people, they have sort of pushed down the other people. So when we say Gentiles, Gentiles is just the Greek word for nations. Gentiles is just the Greek word for everybody else, right? So Gentiles is just, if you're not one of us, you're a Gentile. And so Paul comes to 
to them and says, listen, this Jesus is the Messiah. And they said, that's not right, you jerk. And he said, listen, we came to you first, but since you're not going to receive it, we're going to go to everybody else. This message is for everybody else. Now, guess who at that point stops feeling special about themselves? The, the Jews. Now, no longer God is just coming to them. He's coming to everybody else's. He's coming to the Gentiles. And people really don't like it when you take their feel good away. And being special, being better, being God's chosen people is a feel good. That makes me feel good. It makes me feel superior. And so Paul goes to the Gentiles. Because of their jealousy, listen, look what happened in this town. Next slide. When the Gentiles heard this, they, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, uh, glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. Now, what happens is he goes from Antioch, he goes from Antioch to a place called Iconium, to Lystra, to a place called Derby, and then he goes back to Antioch. The whole whole time, these particular Jews who were caught, who were contradicting him and reviving him chased him around and grabbed people in different places and said, "You guys, you guys, look at that guy, what he's doing. Let's get it." And ever people, I guess people in the first century were just looking for someone to beat up because everyone's, "Yeah, you're right." And they went. There was a time in this time period where Paul gets dragged to the outskirts of the city and is beaten until they think he's dead. They think he's laying there dead. And all the disciples gather, his friends and all them gather around and they, they look at him and he looks dead. And then he gets up and walks back into the city where he was just beaten and left for dead. That's probably one of the funniest images in the Bible to me. Is they all gather around Paul and go, oh man. What? I can't believe they beat him to death. And then he's just like, oh, oh, he gets up. <laughs> you know, because he's not just like, well, let's go back into the city. Oh, and he's like dragging the leg. And he says, oh, let's go back. Let's go where? Let's go back. To, to that town. Gotta find a place to sleep. You're gonna find a place to sleep like six feet under the ground. You go back there, but they, they I can't imagine they didn't. But anyway, he's getting beat up and, and run out of town, and he's having to escape by night. He finally goes back to the city where it all starts. And there's a group of people in that city, some Jews from Jerusalem, who are coming up to this these new Gentile converts to Christianity, and they're saying. You guys need to follow Moses before you can follow Jesus. What that means is you've got to follow the commandments. You've got to follow the law. You've got to do all the right things in the law. There's, there is over 600 commandments in the law. And you've got to follow all of those. You've got to decide what you're going to do whenever you get mold in your house. You've got to decide what you do when you get a rash on your head. You've got to decide what to do when a locust murders one of your bulls. I mean, there's laws for everything. And he, he says, you you got to follow all those laws. And, and specifically, uh, you got to get circumcised. Which, I understand. Like, I really understand. Like, the, the, they have been doing this 
sort of religion, this sort of way, for hundreds of years. For over, for over a thousand years, they've been doing this sort of religion, this sort of way, and they've done it over and over again. And now these new people were coming in and don't know all the rules, and we got to teach them the rules. We do this sometimes in church, right? We do this when one will come down and we'll say, All you need is Jesus. All you need is Jesus. Jesus can overcome anything. Jesus can overcome all that you need to, to um, all your sins and He can um, conquer death. All you need is Jesus. People come forward and they will be baptized into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And we'll bring them down and say, Oh, I found Jesus. And we're like, Okay, we told you about Wednesday nights. Got to do that. Um, and we had a committee meeting. Right? I threw that in for the Baptists in the room. Got committee meetings we got to go to. And what about, have you, have, have you heard about this thing called Sunday school? Yeah, it's earlier. And we'll, we'll, we'll just list thing after thing and we start piling on and say, all you need is Jesus. And then we start piling on. Not that any of those things are bad. It's just sometimes we sell people a bill of grace that's, and then turn it, it's all, it's a bait and switch at times. And the Gentiles, and listen, and listen, it's because we've grown up, Bible class one Wednesday night, we've grown up doing certain things, and both people are doing the things I'm doing, they're not as holy as I am, and you gotta be at least as holy as I am to accept Jesus, right? And we made a religion doesn't necessarily always reflect the relationship that we need. So, I understand where these Jewish people are coming from. They've been doing this for thousands of years, and now these Gentiles don't know what they're doing. We've got to tell them how to act. So these Gentiles are coming, these Jewish people are coming up to these Gentiles and saying, listen, you've got to follow Moses before you follow God. They've been coming to Antioch. And Paul loses Real mad. Real mad. You can tell he gets real mad about this from the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians was written to these particular churches. And it's in this sort of circumstance that he said, he, he, he usually, Paul says um, in, his, in his letters, he'll say, hey, this is Paul. This is where I am. This is my circumstance. Thanks to God for you. I think of you. Every time I think of you, I say a little prayer to you. And he says something like that. It's a little Thanksgiving. He says, but he starts the book of Galatians by saying, um, hey, this is Paul. I am blown away that you have accepted just blaze into him like right away. He's so angry that in the Greek, their, their sentences just end. And then start, like he's just, it's like he's saying, it's, it's, most of the time you write with a, in back, back in that day, you would dictate the letter to um, what's called an Emmanuel Winston someone who'd write the letter for him. And so you, I can just see him saying to this guy, Dad, get that back. You know how you do with your kids. You, I can't believe you. And then the next thing I know, you're sitting there with a, and don't look at me like that. And so there's a, the, the Emmanuel is like, okay, well, we'll just start a new sentence and move on. It feels that way in the original text. It's so interesting and funny. But Paul is very upset about this. And he goes back to Jerusalem and they have a council meeting. It's the first committee meeting in the first century. And it's, it's, but it's, it's a legitimate one. It's one, not one of those nonsense ones that you go to. So he, he is, they, they have this meeting and they say, what are we going to do about the Gentiles? 
What are we going to make them do? <laughs> and they had this big discussion, and we could talk about the big discussion, but we don't have time. The big discussion eventually lands on them sending a letter to the Gentile Christians in the Galatian province. And the letter reads like this. <coughs> Greetings. We have heard that some, some went out from us, or came from Jerusalem, without our authorization, and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Next slide. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth that we are right, what we are right. It seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us to burden you with, to, to not, not, I'm sorry, to us, not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. Ready? Here they are. You are to abstain from food, sacrifice to idols, from blood. That means you're not supposed to drink blood, okay? And that's a problem. From the meat of strangled animals and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. This is the funniest, funniest thing about it. It's just so abrupt. So here, here's three things. Um, just basically don't eat meat, sacrifice to idols, don't drink blood. Um, uh, and, and, and no sexual immorality. Farewell. Our lists seem to be longer than that, right? But if we're going to act like the first century church, one of the things we have to do is we have to say, I'm not going to burden with all I am while I am lifting you up with all that Jesus is. I think that's the rub. That, that's what happens a lot of times as I say, Jesus will exalt you. But first you need to be like me. And that's unfair to people. Because people have different upbringings, they have different lifestyles, like my they, they, they've had different um, experiences in life. And it's unfair to say, well, you've got to be like me before you can be like Jesus. But that's what we do a lot. You can even hear it in our language. Someone makes a mistake. Bad mistake. They'll make a bad mistake. They'll make bad choices. And you'll say, well, if I were in their shoes, I would do this. We do this with our spouses. If I were them, I would act like this. And it's not true. You wouldn't. You're wrong. What we mean often is when we say, I, if I were in their shoes, what we mean is if they were in my shoes. Because if you were in their shoes, you would be raised by the person they were raised by. You would be, you'd go to school where they went to school. You'd have the friends that they had. You'd have all the influences. There's a good chance you'd do exactly the same thing they did. So what we mean is, 
if they would have had the same upbringing I had, if they would have had the same friends I had, if they would have had the same parents I had, if they would have gone to the same church I had, if they would have done the exact same things I did, they probably would have made the decision I would have made. So it's not fair to tell people that they've got to be like me before they can be like Jesus. Because that's not necessarily the most direct path to Jesus. There's a saying that popped up in the early formations of the uh, first century church. Or not first century, of the you know, church of Christ. Uh, of, the, of the church of Christ when it was first forming. But it's not, it's not only a church of Christ saying. It's, happened, it's lasted, lasted for you. And it's three parts. The first part says, in essentials, in matters that are essential, we seek unity. So in essentials, unity. The second part is, in matters of opinion, and sometimes it's phrased in matters of non-essentials, liberty. And the last is, in all things love. This is one of the first sayings of our particular movement. This is where we, we wanted to start here. In matters of essentials, unity. In matters of opinion, liberty. And in all things, love. Now, what happened was over the next 200 years, we fought over what the word essentials means. And we haven't got to the rest of it yet. We're just still trying to figure out, well, what, is this essential or is that essential? And we, started, we came up with words. Well, that, I think that's a salvation issue. Issue of salvation. And so we are constantly trying to fight the fight of what's essential to believe and to do and what's unessential. But I think we got the whole thing backward. I think if we would have spent the last 200 years trying to figure out what it means to do all things in love, everything else would have fell into place. We haven't gotten to that point yet. We're still arguing about essentials. We haven't even gotten to the point where we say, well, okay, what's a matter of opinion and what's... But if we did it backward, it might turn out a little better than it did. Because you see what happens is we say, well, in essentials unity, okay, so we'll say, Jesus, is, Jesus died on the cross and he, prayed, he, was, he, he rose from the grave. Jesus rising from the grave is an essential element of the Christian faith. That's why we're Christians. We believe Jesus rose. Um, if we go beyond that, we start having different opinions almost immediately. Um, theologies clash, doctrines clash, and we all try to have, we all have our own opinions. And what happens to human beings is we start thinking, well, my opinions are better than your opinions. You say, well, you can't even say my opinions are better than your opinions. Well, I can. I can say that because my opinions are better than your opinions. Like, well, that's just your opinion. Well, my opinions are essentials. Trump card, right? My, and then all of a sudden, we're back in that first category. We've been arguing about essentials for so long that we have mistaken what the word unity means. Most of the time in churches, what, when people say unity, what they mean, what they actually mean, is not the word unity. What they mean is uniformity. Let's all look the same, believe the same, think the same saying unity is when people think differently and still love each other when people have different opinions and show each other liberty 
so it show each other grace. Unity is when we don't agree, but we still love. You can't have, you can't figure out what in essentials unity means without first going through in all things love. If you did all things in love, then you could have the conversation about opinions in a better way. If you did all things love, then you could have the conversations about why well, I think this is very essential. It changes the whole tone. Those of you who've gotten married um, to someone who's not your immediate family knows that. <laughs> which I think is most of you. They told me when I left Texas that this that it would be different than this. But most of yeah. So one, those you've married someone and they have another family and you marry that family. You don't just marry that family. You marry that tradition. Rachel and I have the conversation every year what, like, about how exactly what to wrap and what to not wrap Christmas morning. Who knows what we do? Rachel knows. I don't. Because my family did it a certain way. Her family did it a certain way. Some of you had families who had birthday, like when you had a birthday, it was kind of no big deal. Like, oh, here's your present, here's your card. We're not going to hang up decorations. Some of you had families, especially if you were an only child, had families where every, every time I had a birthday, they shipped in a donkey and we rode it around into the city. They laid palm branches down and cheered my name. Like, some of you had birthdays like that, and then one of you who had birthdays like that married someone who had birthdays the other way, and y'all get into a relationship, the first time your birthday comes around, that person says, here, I got you a card and a present. What? <laughs> so different traditions, different opinions, different backgrounds, different histories come together and they collide. But love says... <laughs> All things. And unless it's in all things, it isn't love. Unless it's through all things, it isn't love. And we can't have the conversations about opinions. We can't have the conversations about essentials unless we start. Just We're going to have to scrap and say, okay, let's quit talking about essentials for just a second and start about love. How can we love? With the idea that someday we're going to talk, there are things that I believe are essential. There are things I see in Scripture that I think, well, you can't. You can't mess with that. That's, that's real. That's true. That's legitimate. We will have those conversations. We'll have those debates. But unless we start at the bottom there, unless we start saying, okay, we're going to bathe all things in love. So now that we've done that, we can have conversations about opinions. Now that we've done that, we can have this conversation about essentials, and you'll find that they get smaller and smaller. What the church Christ has tended to do at times is bathe all things in the conversation about essentials, and we don't even get to love other than that. I think we should flip it. 
My, that's my suggestion, because what I see in the first century church is them looking at the Gentiles and saying such things as, okay, we love you, so we don't want to burden you with too much right now. So we're not going to ask you to be circumcised. We're not going to ask you to follow the new moon rituals. We're not going to ask you to keep the Sabbath. Just, basically what they're asking is, don't go to the big pagan parties anymore. Which, uh, that's all, all those sorts of things happen there. Don't go to the big pagan parties. You've got to live a different life. But we're not going to burden you with any more than that. You want to be like the first century church? Acts 13 through 15 is going to have to rule your attitudes about how you interact with people who have a different background and different lives, stories, and you. Their attitude is going to have to be your attitude. So, the call this morning is just, just flip it. Stop trying to figure out who agrees with you, who disagrees with you. Um, that's going to come later. We'll come. We'll get to that. We'll get. I promise. Those of you who love that sort of stuff, I promise we'll get there. But you cannot get there in a healthy way. You cannot have a healthy discussion about what is essential and what is just a matter of opinion without having a healthy practice of love. And as I said before, if it's not in all things, it's not really love. So this week, find somebody, some, find somebody that, that's different from you. Different belief, different background, different in, um, behavior. Maybe they sin differently than you sin. That makes people really uncomfortable too. Find somebody like that and love them. No other assignments. Just love them. And try to figure out what the, exactly that means. Now, in our particular tradition, sometimes, and maybe this has happened for those of you who grew up Methodist, who grew up Baptist, who grew up Pentecostal, who grew up God, and Charismatic, and oh, whatever. Maybe this has happened to you, but I, in my growing up, it seems like we say, oh yeah, I love them by telling them they're wrong. If you love them, you'll tell them. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's actually true. But um, it's not true if you mean if you love them, you'll tell them right away. Um, because people don't listen to people. People don't care what you have to say unless they know you care about them. And loving someone is so much harder than just throwing a pamphlet at them and saying you're wrong. And then running away. Whether you do that with an actual pamphlet or you do it with just a couple of verses that you grabbed out of the Bible that you can shotgun people. <clears throat> That's not healthy. And it's not good for them. Find somebody you disagree with and love them. Because in the end, I think that is the most essential thing. So you want to talk about essentials. Loving people you don't like. Loving people you disagree with. Loving people who aren't like you. I think that's more essential than just about anything we could possibly 
bring up. Made it in love this week. A lot of people you don't agree with. And let them experience just a relationship with you before they experience a debate One of the, that was probably the only, well, many things missing from those old style debates. Church of Christ people would get, get with the Baptist. A Church of Christ preacher would get with the Baptist preacher. A Methodist preacher would get with the Baptist preacher. They'd all get the tent. You know, the tent is essential for a debate. Um, mainly because if you burn it down, it doesn't do that much damage. But got a tent, you get a tent together. Also, there was a circus thing. I don't know if you knew that. So they would get in a tent, they would get, stand behind these pol- podiums, and one, someone would say, I believe a thing! And someone else would, uh, uh, I don't know what's the word. They would disagree and call them jerks. <clears throat> like someone else in the story, I can't remember who. Oh, the Jews, yes. That's, the Jews in the, in the, in the story, they, would, they, they, they reviled them. They would say, you're wrong, jerk. And they would say, no, you're wrong. In, less, in more words than that, but it's essentially that. And all the Church of Christ people who came to the tent would leave, and they would say, you know, the Church of Christ person really won that debate. The Baptist people would leave, and they would say, you know, the Baptist person really won that debate. And I just want to grab, I want to go back in time and grab one of those people and say, what did we achieve? What did it do? Who was the most loving? I don't think that was part of the contest. I don't think that was part of the goal. That should be our goal. That should be our utmost goal. I want to love people like Jesus loved me. In all things, I'm going to love. No matter of opinion, I'm going to love by showing um, liberty to those people. Giving liberty, showing grace to those to other opinions. In matters of essentials, I'm going to love by striving for unity instead of uniformity. And that's really hard work. Do you know what's not hard work? Just proclaiming to the world that I'm right. I don't have to do anything when I do that. I just keep thinking what I've always been thinking. I just keep doing what I've always been doing. And I keep telling other people that unless they're thinking like I'm thinking or doing like I'm doing, they're not doing or thinking the right things. When I say it like that, it does sound ridiculous, doesn't it? When you start loving, when you start showing grace, when you start striving for unity, it's hard work trying to do stuff. You're going to have to do things you don't naturally do. You're going to have to treat people in ways that you don't naturally treat them. And it's going to be... <coughs> I think we do need to have conversations about what's essential. I think we do have need to have conversations about our different opinions. Because those can matter. Those can affect people. But unless we first wrestle with the idea of what it means to do all things in love... We won't get anywhere, and we will be wasting our time. So just love somebody this week. In the name of Jesus, love somebody this week. Love love all those people who aren't as right as you. Love all those people who don't 
sin like you sin. Love all those people who don't live like you live. Love all those people who don't believe what you believe. You'll find that Jesus changes you like that. The biggest fallacy in all of this is the base belief that I don't need to be affected. The base belief that I don't need to be changed. And that I, it's now my job to change everybody else. If you believe that, you are if you don't believe that, you're a sinner. All working together, trying to hold hands and follow King who got out of the grave. King whose one of the last words to his disciples was, this is the last thing I give you, love others like I loved you. And thankfully for all of us, the way Jesus loved us was in all You want, if you've never followed that Jesus, if you just thought, I don't want to get into a religious debate, I don't, I don't know enough about the Bible to, to follow Jesus, I'm sorry we fed you that false bill, that lie, that you somehow have to have all your, your belief systems straight to follow the king who's going to change you. To follow Jesus who's going to affect you. Jesus wants you in a relationship with him right now. Jesus wants you to merge and to join him in death, burial, and resurrection right now. That is something that he's calling you to now. You don't have to have it all right, you never will. But you do need the love of Jesus in your life. I think that's quite you want that this morning, please come forward while we stand.